Hi there. My name is Dr. Pragenta, and I'm the host of the Dr. Nurse Podcast. I'm an advanced nurse practitioner, and I want to be your guide into the world of nursing professions. This podcast is a platform for nurses to share their journeys as they made their way in the diverse field of nursing as either entrepreneurs, academia, private practice, or even the corporate world. I think we should celebrate just how diverse the field of nursing is through mentoring one another with the stories of our career journeys. Nothing is too mundane because each journey is unique. This podcast will showcase career options to encourage nurses to view their degrees with a business mindset. After all, we work in the healthcare business. And ultimately, I hope I might inspire you to make a change if you're looking for something different. I am motivated to see you live your best nursing life, and that looks different for everyone. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast, and let's get started with today's guest. Hi, Dr. Nurse Podcast. Welcome today. We have a special guest. Theo Jones Sr. received his bachelor's degree from Sojourner Douglas College in 2014, where he worked as an ICU nurse and then a trauma surgery OR nurse. He then pursued his master's of science in nursing at Chamberlain University in March of 2018. He is currently launched and runs the Weekend White Coat Concierge LLC since 2018 and has worked in internal medicine as a nurse practitioner hospitalist. I believe you have your master's degree in family nurse practitioner. Yeah. Okay. He began his career with an acute pain fellowship at MedStar Georgetown Hospital and later managing the acute care pain service at several sites in the North Baltimore area. Welcome, Theo. That is not all you're doing. You've got a whole bunch of other stuff too, side stuff. So we will get into all your side hustles, all all the things that you're doing on top of your business. So let's dive right in. You ready? Yes, do this. All right. So I just explained kind of your backstory, but I really want to know what you do on a day-to-day basis. What's your days look like? How do you define yourself as far as your job title? Sure. On a day-to-day basis, I'm a lot of different things. I I guess the best description is an entrepreneur. So uh, on a day-to-day basis, I kind of get up. The first thing I do in the morning, which is meet with my assistant, kind of outline what we need to get done for the day. I review any patient logs that I have and just see if there's any patients that actually need anything. I I go through a lot of different things, mostly uh, good workout, meditation, I joined the 5 a.m. club recently, so I'm in, I'm loving nice. that. That's a great book, by the way. People should read that. After that, after I go through patients, I actually teach too. So I check over my classrooms. And if there's anything left, kind of follow up on uh, pharmacy requests and I close my day out. Wow. So take me through all the different buckets you're involved in. So let's start with your concierge business, the weekend white coat. Exactly what is it that you're doing there? Are you providing primary care? Walk me through that. Sure. Weekend white coat is like completely my baby that wasn't birthed. It's so weekend white coat concierge is a subscription service for uh, patients. So yes, I do primary care but also do so much more. I do one-on-one healthcare planning. I do vitamin drips, which is pretty much included in the service. I connect patients to my network. I've worked at a few hospitals for a long time. So I've met a lot of doctors, a lot of surgeons that 
you know, they're the best in the country. I've worked at some of the top institutions, like top 50 hospitals. So I've met a lot of people. I connect to a lot of people. They get me as, as part of the service 24 seven, they get access to the weekend white coat application, which is a, a telemedicine app that I have right now on the Google store and Apple app store. I didn't quite make the jump to Amazon's uh, app store yet. It's not enough business there, yeah. but on a daily basis, it's pretty much one of those things where it's 24 seven. If they need me, they get me. If they don't need me, it's fine. I'm still here to support you. When I was looking at your website, you've got different tiers that you've got that people can buy into. So that just ups the level of care that you get. Am I understanding that correctly? 100% correct. So some people like the option of not having to subscribe to so much because everybody doesn't need that much attention and some others do. So some want, you know, more than one house call a year. If they don't feel well, some want less. They just want to see me when they want to see me. And that works because bothering people too much, it kind of, it can kind of change the relationship. Everybody, everybody gets away from that annoying friend, but I think that's who I don't want to be in the situation. I want to be that friend that's there when you need them. Yeah, that's really cool. So in those packages, and I heard you say you do IV hydration, you do house calls, you do labs, you manage their medications. Um, what's some of the other things that I, I mean, I, those are a couple of the ones I can recall, but what are some of the other things that you are able to do with your concierge company or business? I can pretty much get specialty medications. I have good relationships with compound pharmacies. So if I need something made up for a patient, I can just kind of call a pharmacist and tell them exactly what I want and they do it. I mean, I can kind of, I can make a lot of stuff happen. It's all about who and what you can do versus what they want, what they want done in the reality of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And when I say that, I mean, somebody will have one idea and then they'll come to me and they'll just get something on a completely different level yeah. and they'll never expect it. Yeah. Like, oh my God, this is way better than I expected. The traditional nine to five office model has ruined us as people because We've moved into this society where Amazon can have a package to your door in two days. But pre prior to that, it took weeks for the Home Shopping Network to ship your stuff or HSN. <laughs> but we can white coat, we kind of changed the narrative because healthcare can come straight to you. And it's not just like any, any old regular healthcare. It's like I'm pulling up and doing EKGs. We're doing like a full workup in the home. I'll, I even started this thing called VIP days where... A market is get it all done in one day kind of session. I get you, I get you a full physical, get you started on the drip, get all your labs done. If you need any specialist referrals, I get it done that same day. And we kind of conclude on a transactional basis if that's what they want. Wow. VIP days are pretty popular. So do people need health insurance to see you or are you private pay? No, I'm private pay. Okay. You don't even need health insurance to see me. Honestly, um, using health insurance the only thing that i use it for is for things that i order for the patient other than that no you don't need to have health insurance to see me and how many hours a week are you working on the job crushing it how many days how many hours a week are you working because i mean driving to see patients and taking care of people that can take a lot of time do you have a, a yeah. radius that you work in that was another question i i wanted to know like do you say like listen if you're 50 miles out like 
we out. Or if you're like, no, 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 I, I treat everybody no matter where they are in the greater Baltimore area, I'll go to you. Yeah, those are my questions. Like, how many hours are you spending a week at work? I would say uh, on a week in White Coat, physically, how many hours? I would say I, I spend about maybe 15 hours a week physically. As far as like digitally, I would say I, I maybe spend about 30 to 40 hours a week. Okay. So you're so heavy on the it's digital not a, side. It's not a ton of time in the grand scheme of things of what I was doing as a hospitalist. Some weeks as a hospitalist, I'd be like clocking 70, 80 hours a week yeah. versus me doing like 20 to 30 yeah. on my own business. Yeah. It's kind of a different vibe. For sure. And the other different vibe is the cost. So as a hospitalist, say you make about a hundred grand a year. Are you pulling in comparable pay or more? Better. Better. So then. Concierge medicine is pretty lucrative. So you don't find the usual crowd. The crowd that I usually have are like entrepreneurs. A lot of them are high net worth individuals who have the luxury of paying for cost saving services or time saving services. So if you can have a cleaner lady come to your house and clean your home, you don't have to do it. You can focus on doing other tasks in your business, right? If you can have uh, a car cleaning service come to you to clean your car, you don't have to do it. Now, if you don't have to go and wait inside of a doctor's office for two, three hours after your appointment time, you don't have to do it. I also occupied a few other spaces when COVID hit pretty bad, especially earlier this year, I was doing mobile COVID testing. So it was it was a pretty it was a pretty good year so far. Last year was a really good year. You can make your money plus some if you can market right and find your right clientele pocket. Wow, that's incredible. That's the weekend white coat, which I like that name. I think it's really cool. It's just got really good, like just got an edge to it. You're involved in some other things as I was looking you up. You've got an ebook that you've written. You're really into finance. It looks like you've teamed up with another nursing influencer and you guys have created some content. Tell me a little bit about what you're what also you're in as far as that's concerned. Oh, yes. So two ebooks. My first ebook was So You Want to Be a Nurse. It's kind of a two-part book in one. So the first part is So You Want to Be a Nurse, and the second half of it is So You Want to Be a Nurse Practitioner. And it's kind of just walking you through the day one to kind of end game. And it was kind of the intro into our second book, uh, White Coat Green Bands, which is kind of life after bedside. And trying to help people transition away from bedside. And it's funny, uh, me and Morgan, uh, who's my business partner, we always talk about how they don't teach too much financial literacy in nursing. They don't teach a lot of how to get away from this. They teach you how to be in it, but they don't teach you how to get out of it. 100%. Yes. I'm a financial freedom advocate from day one. My goal is to be completely free of like anything, maybe by 40. Like, I just want to have that much passive income stacked up by the time I turn, well, I guess 45 at this point. Yeah, I'm already 33, so. Well, I'll be 33 this month. Well, happy early (laughs) birthday. Thank you. I love that goal. I love that you're dreaming big. I feel like you're going to get there at 40. I don't know what you got going on, but I just feel like you're a go-getter. So I, I see you at 40, just knocking it out of the park. And so as far as that stuff is going, is that, is that it? Is that all we got? Is that all the buckets? No, to I got on? more. Okay. So, so we're actually, um, we're actually going to be uh, relaunching. So you want to be a nurse book? We're going to break it down into two books now. So it's going to be uh, a lot more 
Well, I guess you would call it an abridged version, but we're going to add a ton more information. On top of that, White Coat Green Bands, the book, it has a course attached to it. We did a part two, which is still on sale. Then we did Flight School, which is absolutely awesome. I think the, the Flight School record, which is more like financial freedom, financial literacy kind of stuff, trying to help get you from bedside to business. Inside of that course, we did a lot of stuff. We had an Airbnb expert. We had a IV rehydration team come in and kind of show the blueprint to start your own IV rehydration service. I even taught how to build a telemedicine practice in the course. And that was, that was pretty fun. We talked about building the ebook and marketing itself, a bit of a, a marketing guru on the side from what I could see. Yeah. Uh, we did pretty well as far as marketing last year, uh, a lot of Facebook ads, uh, a lot of like, a lot of collaboration with different teams just to kind of put everything together. So we, we did a lot with that. And this year, uh, we're having, we got an NFT project coming up moving into the digital space. I love this whole crypto thing and this whole like exclusive non-fungible token kind of business. Yes. So that's coming soon and more to come. Yeah. I, it's I really liked how you're starting to kind of get how a tree has these roots that kind of just go out and they goes looking for water so that the trees never oh, yeah. without something coming in. I really love that analogy for what you're doing. It's kind of the same thing of like just sending out your roots to go find sources of income from other areas. That's just absolutely brilliant. And it's the thing that more nurses need to be doing. And I love having these conversations because I think it brings this awareness to other nurses that other people are doing it. Why not you? These resources that you're providing to people, I think is very beneficial. So fantastic. How did you get here? Because you didn't wake up one day and just have a weekend white coat business and an ebook and an app and telemedicine and all this stuff. You went through a journey to get to this spot. So kind of walk me through the day you decided to become a nurse. Until you're sure. at this point now with you got buckets and buckets. How did this yeah. happen? Well, it's pretty funny. I wasn't a healthcare provider initially. So I was, I used to be a therapist actually. Like a mental health which therapist? Which is pretty hilarious. I was, I worked in psych for like five years huh. prior to switching to nursing. So I think what really changed, I was, uh, I remember I was uh, dating this girl at the time. This is before I was married. This was like way back. Yeah. I was like at CCBC, which is a community college here. And I was visiting a friend of mine. He was taking up accounting courses. And I remember being in the hallway thinking to myself, like, man, I need to get out of this draining line of work. I absolutely hate it. I'm pouring so much of myself into this job yeah. and all I get is complaints. I mean, not knowing at the time what healthcare was, but <laughs> go figure. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so initially I started taking my prerequisites at a community college and I remember getting ready to apply for the nursing program and the, the, the counselor told me I would never get into the program with my grades, which I found interesting because I mean, I didn't exactly have failing grades. It was more so that I guess it was so much competition that she didn't think I was good enough to make it, but I didn't let that stop me. I have this saying, if there's no door letting you in, jump through the window, don't be denied. <laughs> so I jumped through a lot of windows, applied to like three, maybe three or four different nursing schools, which feels impossible with the amount of paperwork you got to do, but I did it. And that's how I ended up actually going to Sojourner Douglas College. So I started there in 2011. 
And while I was going through the program, my first job was as a nursing student mm. at the VA, which was terrible, by the way. <laughs> it was, oh my God, Why? everything that you see on, I hate, I hate to say this out loud, but everything that you see on the news about the VA health system, oh my God, it's multiplied by five. Oh my goodness. <laughs> So that was my first job. And after that, I was an ICU nurse extern for Merlin General, which doesn't exist anymore. I'm dating myself. It's all right. Merlin, Merlin General doesn't exist anymore, but I was an ICU nurse extern. Uh, from there, I did some time doing that. So the, the program that I was in at Sojourner Douglas College, they had an LPN exit option where you could take your LPN boards and still finish up your bachelor's. Oh, so I did an exit option LPN. I took the LPN and clicks on my lunch break actually <laughs> and passed it and came back to school. <laughs> when, oh when, I told, when I told people that story, they look at me crazy, but, uh, <laughs> I, I went on my lunch break. I passed it and I went back to school. Swear to God, you can ask all my friends. They were there and I worked as a corrections nurse for a year and some change until I finished my bachelor's. In, I feel like you're the kind of, the you're the kind of guy who could work a corrections nurse job. Like I could never yeah. go work corrections, but like you're a big guy. So like you could go into those areas and like totally get away with it. Like little old me, even though the money looks really great at those jobs, yeah. I'm like, I, I could not survive there. I just couldn't like. <laughs> oh, Sandra, I think you'd be surprised. Those are some of the nicest criminals. Really? I mean, honestly. They were Shame nicer than the patients that I get in the hospital. Really? What they though? Were so what though? I have taken care of some inmates when I was a nurse. And outside of being intrigued by like, why are you handcuffed to the bed? Like outside of just wondering what they were doing, they really were nice people. Like I've never had one that was like, you see these terrible things on TV where like these people are like clamoring in the bed and then you actually meet them and they're like, yeah, I did some stuff and I'm here. So yeah. Thanks for taking care that of me. That was like, yes, sir. No, sir. Yeah, you know, all... thank you. Thank you, sir. Yes. I mean, very grateful people. Yes. Honestly, I look back on that fondly. And the only thing I hated was being locked in. That was the worst. Yeah. Like being locked in, hearing the door closed behind you. It just. Ugh. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I can see that being a little unnerving. And to know that that's how yeah, they live and... their lives. It's got to be. It gives you a lot of compassion for them. Right. Yeah. And how we're all like attached to our phones. You can't have a phone for like eight hours at a time. Ooh, wow. Yeah. So if anybody needed to contact you, if it was an emergency, they would never be able to reach you. It was the craziest thing. Wow. So you did that job for how long? I, so I was there as an LPN for about a year. And after I finished boards, and I, I'll never forget this. The day I, the day I figured, figured out that I passed my boards was... December 4th, 2014. Okay. And I was in the office as an LPN. And I remember like everybody was like happy that I passed my boys. Everybody was like, yeah, yeah. And then the charge nurse that was there that they said, good job. But today you're still an LPN. Get back to work. And then the right. following week, I was the charge nurse. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey so there. I, I know, right? Oh, it's a lot of those on my journey. Oh, yeah. So I, I was there for about, I guess, about two years on and off. I still did some PRN. I took my first job in the ICU in 2015. And I had been grooming myself to be an ICU nurse for so long. I took the job and completely hated it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what made you think that you wanted to be an ICU nurse? And then what made you realize you can't stand it? Well, I really like the science of it. It's it's such a it's such a forward thinking specialty in nursing. 
and they're always the creme de la creme of the, the hospital. Yeah. It's nothing more pride filling than having an ICU t-shirt or jacket. Yeah. Everybody knowing that you're this ICU nurse. So you and, wanted it you for know, like the status, like the status symbol, like in the science, right. you like the science, but also just being like, mm, I'm at the top, the top. It's like the American Express card of nursing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's true. So what made you realize you hate it? The personalities. Yeah. Oh my God. It is such a main girls club. Mm, like maybe because it, like, of that the, same mentality. Like we're the bad ones. We know what we're doing. Like la 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 la. And then they're like also like awful to be around. <laughs> and it's so it's so much gatekeeping in the ICU. A, a lot of people don't talk about this. It's so much gatekeeping. I mean, depending on if they like you, depending on what you look like, it's a lot of gatekeeping. They'll they'll if they don't like you, they'll try to get rid of you. Yeah. And I, I remember my last day in ICU. This is before I decided I needed to leave. My son was just born and I was trying to get some kind of leave. Like I was trying to take a little bit of time to off. To take care of your newborn baby. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Because my, my wife wasn't, she was sick after birth and she wasn't doing well. And the nurse manager, who's a woman, looked me in my eye and said, well, I think you need to focus more on your career. And I was like, oh, Okay. I'm going to go ahead and go to um, nurse recruitment and see if I can get reassigned to a different spot. Yeah, that's the right so, move, honestly. Yeah. So during that time, I had the time off. Actually, I had a significant amount of time off, which was pretty good. And I ended up going to Trauma OR, which is absolutely my love. I love Trauma OR. Um, surgery kind of groomed me in a way it helped my knowledge it gave me skills that i was able to translate directly as a nurse practitioner but in the middle of that journey I, that's when i realized i wanted to go back to school and become a nurse practitioner while i was in the or and the scheduling and the flexibility that made it possible this was the only unit that i worked where i actually got two solid breaks i had a morning break and i had a lunch break yeah. And if I was lucky, I had a dinner break, depending on what time the shifts were breaking down. And I was like, is this some kind of fantasy land? I thought I was in Narnia. I was like, oh, I these was breaks, in Narnia. Like on the floor. <laughs> this is a whole different world. You don't get breaks on the floor. What is this? <laughs> yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it didn't come without its challenges, but sure. it served my purpose, which kind of leans into like, use a job before it uses you is a lesson that I usually say. I got a little mantra that the first chapter of the um, we can wait the white coat green bands book is called F that job. <laughs> and it's a mantra that's kind of use your imagination. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. The mantra is use that job before it uses you because it doesn't care about you. Yes. Which 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 goes to say that in that situation, I was working and throughout that process, it was kind of like, hey, come come during the snow, come during this, come during that. You got class, I understand, but come during that. Come do that here. We just need somebody to cover these cases. Yeah. You know, no nobody cared about the exhaustion and the burnout. So I did my I did my two two and a half years of studying so I can get this master's. I did my clinicals while I was working weekend option. And in two thousand and eighteen I graduated, March two thousand eighteen. Wow. Yeah. So then you I saw that you took a hospitalist job as a nurse practitioner, which is tough. 
hospitalist nurse practitioner jobs bring bring the heat so after you are in the or trauma you loved it it sounds like that was kind of the first job you really loved actually you like the prison job too or the correctional unit tell me a little bit about this hospitalist job that you took as a nurse because i've always been interested in a hospitalist job i feel like it'd be a really good on the job training because you see everything walking in the door and so yeah tell me a little bit about that and then how you ended up transitioning into your own business well, okay, so hospitalists, if you do not know your stuff, you'll get your butt kicked. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> My fellowship was, I did a, when I did this fellowship in pain management, I was working with like post-surgical patients. And it was it was fun. It was interesting. And I didn't like it after a while because all of my consults would end up being those like long-term drug users who came in off of like a three-day cocaine bender and they having pain. And I was like, "Ah, I'm going to lose my skills during this. So I switched (laughs) to hospitalists. So you did a fellowship, Uh, which is like where they train you. You just like on the job training, right? Yeah, I was trained. I spent, I spent maybe about four or five months up at Georgetown hospital working with a really brilliant anesthesiologist, actually two of them. And it was like a group of us. We all came out there and learned That's how cool. to, you know, manage pain. And then you took that job to, in the chronic pain job and you were like, this is awful. Got you. Yeah. So but I switched to, after, after I finished that out, I switched to uh, hospitalist, which was very interesting because I, I started to really learn what it was like to do internal medicine. <laughs> like I, I trained in family practice, but it was no real precursor to what being a hospitalist was like. Yeah. Not only is, is the hours pretty grueling, because seven days on, seven days off is not for the week. No. I really cut my teeth during that time, and I learned so much. It, it made me a better clinician in some ways. Like I can treat a patient in fine conditions a lot better than I would have done if I didn't have the training. Uh, a traditional family medicine experience. So you get those like common colds, sinus infections, tonsillitis, stuff like that. They come to the office. Yeah. But lo and behold, when I decided to switch to be a hospitalist, we had COVID happening. <laughs> it was a condition and nobody knew what the hell was happening. Scary. Nobody knew how to treat it. We was just out here blind as a bat. And here I am my first year as a hospitalist. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're in it. <laughs> Wow. I was in the trenches. Yeah. You did this for, I guess, up until the end of COVID. So when did you start your business? Oh, I started Weekend White Coat like the minute I finished school. I was like, I'm not waiting for anybody. I want to have my own practice and this is how I want to live my life. I was already laying the groundwork for Weekend White Coat. My first logo was terrible, but I I always had this hustle to try to do more than one thing at the same time because Ah. something's going to free me. Oh, I love that. Let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. I like that you started with that mindset right out of school. Like I need to be in multiple things because something is going to free me. How did yes. you get that mentality? What, what made you think that? Cause I don't think that's innate. I don't think most people think that what oh my God. allowed you to think oh, that? So my mother has so much talent. She's a, she's an artist. She's a stylist. She's a teacher. And she's like always done so many different things. She was a florist at one time. And I seen her do all these different things to make all these different things happen. And it was never all her eggs in one basket. Mm. So watching her and my dad, my dad, he was, he started his own business while when he was still young in his thirties and forties. 
And him as an entrepreneur, I've seen how much freedom that allotted him. While it took up a lot of his time, I don't think he could scale at the time when he needed it. But seeing those two, they kind of really inspired me to get on that wave of having my own. Because it's nothing like ownership that'll change your life. A lot of people go to the table and when they negotiate the contracts as nurse practitioners, they really forget that they're providing a service that is irreplaceable. So the equity conversation shouldn't be off the table when negotiating. We all supposed to be rich. I mean, that's my mindset. We supposed to be rich. There's, there shouldn't be any poverty in our blood. We, we worked this hard to get here. We're supposed to be rich. Hands down. I don't care what anybody says being humble and not, we supposed to be rich. Interesting. I like that. I like that, that mentality of we are not supposed to be poor. We're not supposed to be broke because I think a lot of people are working and they have done all this work and they are broke and they are struggling financially. And I like that mentality shift of just like, I'm not going to accept that. Like that is not acceptable. Like that is not not okay. I think And another conversation I had with another um, entrepreneur, she is very much like, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I let it go. And at first I was like, okay, she just lets, and then I started realizing, no, once you say I will not tolerate it, it changes the atmosphere. It's like a thermostat on, on the wall. You go and adjust the temperature when you go like that temperature don't fly here. Like that, just the thermostat doesn't go there. Then you just realize like your life adjusts to that. And so I think that's great. I think it's a great mindset to have of just, I I won't accept that. That's just not, that's not okay with me. It's like the simple questions. Do you tolerate disrespect? Yes or no. Right. And if you do not tolerate disrespect, then being underpaid for your services is clearly disrespect. Huh? Nobody should tolerate disrespect. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you one thing. One of the hardest situations I've been through in my life. So my dad died in 2018, right? Mm -hmm. I I was going for interviews for like nurse practitioner interviews. And maybe about two to three days after my, after my dad passed, I had this interview with this physician and he was opening this, this vascular surgery um, clinic. And I, I interviewed, I mean, I was like, really like, killing this interview and at the end of the interview this guy offers me seventy seven thousand dollars like i'm here three days after my dad died and you offered me three thousand dollars i could have punched him in his face you know that was the most disrespectful thing i've ever went through in my life yeah and and, and you know what's funny why did um, it feel disrespectful why did it feel disrespectful explain what was going on explain i was being asked to do outpatient follow-ups inpatient follow-ups Showing up for surgeries, the first assessing procedures, I needed to cross cover another provider. It's a lot of work. Yeah. After the day was over. And when it came time to say, Hey, what kind of salary do you want for this? I said, Hey, 110K seems fair. And this guy looks me right in my eyes and say, Oh, I was thinking more like 77,000. Meanwhile, so much stuff that we had to go through at my dad's house, paperwork, try to align insurances. It's so much more that I could have been doing to be there to help my family. Uh-huh. And that, that mental value of me being there, it just felt like the most disrespectful thing in the world. Yeah, I see that. I so, see what you're saying. Like I could have spent my time someplace else. Instead, I'm here. And then you give me this low ball offer for this job that's going to be requiring a lot of time. I shouldn't have even come to this interview is kind of what you were thinking. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I see. Uh, what, what Kanye say? Y'all should be honored by my lateness <laughs> that I even show up to this fake. You know? Yes. 
Yeah, I know I that like, song. Yeah. I was like, this is like the most trash. Like, I don't, I don't want to get out of bed for less than less than fifty eight. Yeah, I hear what like, you're saying. But, but I, I feel like, for a value standpoint, at this point in my life, I would much rather have that time and freedom to be with my family than to, you know, being scrubs, being told to go see this patient or that patient against my will versus doing it with my own will. Yes. You know? And that's what spurred the weekend white coat, right? So like that—that that is exactly what spurred weekend white coat. Yeah. I wanted to change the healthcare experience for me and the patient. It's easy to burn out. It's so easy to burn out. Yeah. And being in and out of the hospital throughout the pandemic and seeing patients on my own and seeing patients uh, in the hospital, the vibe is definitely different. Yeah. I actually like my patients. They're, they're good people. You get to you pick know? them, right? Not, I mean, not that I dislike the people that I see in the hospital, yeah. but I, I can't pick and choose. Right? So, so exactly. When it's your business and someone is just kind of emotionally just not what your your vibe or just he's this patient is just abusive or whatever, nurses in the hospital have to take it. I mean, we're, we're not told to defend ourselves. We're not told to, hey, listen, like you, there's a level of you will not tolerate, we will not tolerate this behavior towards our nurses. And so this way you hear these stories of nurses being hit and kicked and cussed out and all these different things where it's like, if you were to do that, you do this to one of our nurses, we're going to remove you from the hospital. They don't do that. They, they allow it, they tolerate it. And so because of that, unless you say personally, this doesn't fly in my space, I'm out of here, then you have to take it because the job won't support you. And what's exactly. nice about having your job is you get to go, it's my business. Like, I I don't want you here because you're disrespectful or abusive or whichever. And I now have the authority and the power to remove you, which Essentially. is beautiful. I mean, again, there's probably laws and contracts and you just can't say, hey, listen, time and you have to inform right. them and stuff like that. But still, at least you have the option of saying I don't have to tolerate this. And that's also what entrepreneurship buys you. It buys you not just you can tolerate what you have the ability to tolerate what it is that you do and do not want, but then it also frees you up from a time standpoint of just being like, I get to do what I want to do. Like I get to go to work today. I get to work on my baby, which is different. You have a different love for your job. 100%. I mean, honestly, if I feel like I want to take a day off, I'll take a day off. I'll just call my assistant and say, hey, can you cover the phones? Let them know that I will not be doing anything outside of any membership work today. That's it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Sandra, I got to say this here. It's very important. We protect our nurses, especially our our women nurses, 90% in the field. See, I can handle myself if a patient wants to fight back. But it's not fair for patients who have an obvious mismatch to these to these nurses that are on the floors and it's insidious. I hate it. Yeah. I, I can't go to every hospital and protect, but we need to protect our nurses in these hospitals are doing a, a very piss poor job in doing yeah. it. It kind of angers me. Yeah. No, I can see honestly. that. Yeah. I can see it's making you upset and it makes me upset because it's, again, I've been in those situations where you're in a room with someone and you're like, I'm uncomfortable here and you have to still continue pr- to provide care. So again, nurses are, are, are warriors and it shouldn't have to be that way. You shouldn't have to go to work and fight. It's kind of scary. But after all that and your journey, Weekend White Coat, I love it. I love to how you got to where you are. And again, I think you kind of shared one of your biggest challenges, which was that day that your father had passed away and you had to go to work and you interviewed at this job. Um, But tell me about a time that was a real high in your career. I mean, have you had a moment along the path that you were like, this was amazing? 
this day, um, this moment was a real high in what you've been doing and what you've been building. I had a lot of those. That's hard to say. I mean, I would say deciding to open the doors on weekend white coat was one of my favorite days. I remember it was just some like errant day in 2018. I was like, I'm going to start seeing patients. But that was a great day. Another great day was the first day I realized that some ER doctors do not do any uh, medical work. <laughs> uh, it sounds mean, but I remember I remember admitting this patient. She came in with a complaint of uh, chest pain, and she was complaining of this pain that was more like epigastric towards the liver. And it was no real imaging done. They had this lady like worked up for his trust test. And I just happened to you know, notice that her urinalysis had a huge amount of bilirubin in it, more than average. And I ended up just kind of opting for a HIDA versus a stress test, only for my gamble to pay off and see that she really had cholecystitis versus this chest pain workup. Sure. She was able to have surgery in under 24 hours to cystitis versus a whole different diagnosis. I mean, this lady could have had a, a whole different outcome for her hospital care yeah. if we'd have worked up for chest pain and sent her home. Yeah. So exactly. That was a that was a big day for a me. Good catch. Being being able to solve your own problems or just having a knowledge to kind of say, hey, this is what I say. I stand by it. I guarantee it is blue magic. It's blue magic? <laughs> blue magic. What does that I stand mean? by it. I guarantee it. <laughs> I've never heard that before. <laughs> oh my gosh. Any other challenges that you had to overcome throughout your journey that you'd like to share with my listeners today? And crazy, like nurse bullying kind of current culture in nursing. On the ICU or different places? ICU. Yeah. Uh, honestly, it's, it's all throughout healthcare. Healthcare is kind of nuts in a way. I had a bit of a unique experience as a black man in nursing, and mm. I don't think enough people talk about it. You know what? What did it's, you uh, What did you experience? What was What did you notice? So, so it's a lot of gatekeeping, a lot of second guessing. You would be shocked. I mean, I recently had a patient. I still kind of pick up in the hospital every once in a while. I recently had a patient. She wouldn't even talk to me. She told the nurse that she didn't think I was a real provider. Wait, because of what reason? Being a man, being black? Because I was black. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Interesting. It was like, she was like, I don't think he's a real, like when I, when I spoke to the patient and it's very apparent when you meet those patients that are uh, discriminating against you as a provider they won't make eye contact they won't talk to you they won't look at you Mm. they will just say things like hey i want a real doctor and and i find it i always find it funny i'm like are you sure you want to talk to a person that has like lightly been listening to your your family members care but i've been here day to day are you sure yeah i was like all right sure i'll go get this doctor and explain the whole situation to him so he can regurgitate everything that i told him yeah So how do you overcome it? Because one of the things that I really find important for African-Americans is that one of the things about our history that I think is beautiful is how we have overcome, right? Right. Because we've had to, right? We've had to overcome such great barriers and things that have held or have attempted to hold us back from success. And so what are some of the things or the techniques that you've learned throughout your time as being a black man, as working in the healthcare field? As a nurse practitioner, how have you overcome some of these, what are some of the techniques that you've used to overcome these moments of blatant racism, maybe not even blatant, that you can't even tell? Like what, I mean, I guess, yeah. How have you overcome that? 
I needed the confidence of 10 men to overcome the microaggressions, the confidence of 10 men to stand in the face of someone questioning what you do for a living. Mm -hmm. I also needed to have people to support me. It's hard. It's very, very hard to find mentors in this space. Mm -hmm. And I, I found one really good mentor, the doctor that trained me, Dr. Michelle Martin-Jones. She was like the only doctor that would take me under her wing outside of my pediatric rotation. She's like the only physician to take me under her wing on a random phone call because it was so hard to find my own preceptor. Yeah. And she's been in this so long that if I'm failing something, I'll just call her and she'll be like, hey, I've seen that before. She she was such an amazing resource. Yeah. She's she's a little older, so she's seen that generation where she was doubted worse than I was. And having somebody that's been there tell you it's okay and that you'll you'll continue to go through and see those good patients that'll change your life, it kind of makes me feel good yeah. to see that and have that. And it really helped me boost my confidence. Yeah. But I think the problem is some stuff will never go away. There it is. Know? That that generation, it just it just won't go away in the things that yeah. it's inherent bias that people have. It's very and I mean, honestly, it just is no no room for it in the healthcare profession. Yeah. But it still it still persists because unconscious bias. Yeah. You know? I think it's one of those things that we would like for it to be gone, like cancer. It's like why can't we why yeah. can't why can't we cure it? But I think it's right. one of those things in life that it will always be with us. And so what we need as African-Americans, as Puerto Ricans, as biracial, as Asian-Americans, whatever it is, is to realize, one, I think it's beautiful that you said that she had it even worse than you had it. And she was able to keep staying in the game. She needed to be there so that you could have someone to talk to, to keep going in the faith. And so if we quit, if we say, oh, this isn't for me, I don't have what it takes, then what we will end up doing is making it harder for the ones behind us because they will be here and they will have no one to relate to. But then right. also realizing that this is something that we are going to be dealing with. And so we need to create tools, tricks, mantras, whatever it is, we need to come up with things that we are able to bolster ourselves against it right. because it is not going away. It is called humankind. We are expecting right. humankind to move past itself and it will not. I believe that it is something inside of us that comes out in different ways for different people. And so right. again, I've been in a room and I don't think I've ever shared this on the podcast, but I've been in a room where I've had a patient not know that my father is African-American and say racist slurs when the African-American nurse assistant walks out of the room. And I'm like, dude, my dad's black. Like, don't, don't think just because I'm a little, couple of shades lighter that I am not any more African-American than that girl that just walked out of there, out of the room. And yeah. yet he said a racial slur in front of me and I couldn't believe right. it. Now, again, at that moment, I had a, a moment to either us like, realize that I'm not going to change this individual. This individual is exactly who they are. And so I'm not going to waste time adding fuel to the fire, but it also let me see who they were. And that, right. and that for me is just like, you got to be careful around this individual. And so I think the point of, of, of all that story is that it's around us, even when it's not blatant and even when you don't see it, it's still there. Mm -hmm. And so just creating, like you said, that mantra of, I am going to be confident despite what's coming at me 
I think is right. absolutely pivotal to fighting this battle because it's not ending and I don't think it ever will. I agree. And also nursing needs to make some changes itself too. Yeah. The, I think one big part of representation is to have a bevy of administration management that look like us. Yeah. When I still look around at some of these hospitals, nurse management don't look like me. Like I say, an unconscious bias from a psychological standpoint, people feel comfortable and relate to people that look like them versus yeah. uh, people that don't. So I remember I always like when I was applying for these jobs, they will always give you the survey and say, do you think you work well in an inclusive, diverse team? And I would always say yes. And only to get into the environment. And it's a big no. It's no inclusive diversity. Mm. I check off two boxes. I'm a black man. And I had this joke with my friends. I'm like the walking diversity quota. And, uh... <laughs> Especially in nursing, for sure. Being black and being a man, you are you are the the not common when 90% of nurses are female. So yeah, for sure. And and I, I guess I wonder, and, and this is just for my own edification, what you feel like include like a diverse administration, what do you think that that would bring to the table for African-Americans? I think that would bring more opportunity to African-Americans to grow in the space. Healthcare needs us. I, I think that people just seem to bypass that whole idea. They need us because how do you treat a population that you can't relate to? Mm. Being black is such a unique experience. The thing is, nobody can tell you how to be black, how to feel at being black. So how do you tell a patient that has no kind of no kind of relation to you about their experience? It's a unique thing. I mean, from the communities we live in to the things that our families say, it's such a unique experience. Yeah. So how can you how can you relate to a patient that's nothing about? I mean, and let's be honest, some of these healthcare providers, their first time seeing a black person is in clinicals. Yeah. is on that residence rotation. So how do you, how can you relate to somebody that you have no experience working with? Yeah. You know, that would be like me going to Mexico and working as a, working as a provider and then mistakenly giving every patient's kid the evil eye. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. like, like you don't even understand <laughs> what you're doing. Like, please just stop. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's a really good perspective. I like that you said that. Because there are times when I see African-American patients and my husband will say, or I'll take care of an African-American patient or I'll come home and tell a story. And he's like, you were able to relate to them. And I'm like, yeah, it's because it's just, yeah, I was right. raised with my black father. So like, I know certain concepts, I understand certain things that are right. just inherent. Like, I'm just like, yeah, I get right. that. And so you're right. You, I do relate at different times better than other races, but I, I do want to make a point that I believe that a, Every color can have the desire within them to relate and to do the best that they could. And so to ask questions, if you're like, am I putting this in a way that makes sense? Or like asking those probing questions more so than just assuming that you understand things. I think that humility of like, I might not get this. Let me make sure that I'm presenting this in such a way or relating to this person. I think that can be done by everyone. I don't believe that this is an exclusive thing where African-Americans could only be taken care of by African-Americans. I don't believe that. Yeah. I think, but I think the problem is healthcare as a whole needs to get rid of that arrogance that they can do everything. Yes. And to admit, so I mean, it's like, a, it's yeah. a certain level of arrogance. Yeah, this. I agree. And I think to admit, I don't know this, and so I want to bridge that gap. That requires humility, and that is something that I don't really see a lot in healthcare. So that's 
Very good. Very good point. Last question is what advice do you have for a new nurse who's starting off in her career that is a piece of advice you would say you want to keep and a piece of advice to toss? Okay. First, the piece of advice I would toss, you do not have to start off a med surge. <laughs> Everyone says I, I think that is a common misconception. You <laughs> do not have to start in med surge. Med surge is a graveyard. <laughs> I, every med surge nurse that I've ever met, they talk to themselves at the, at, at, at the ATM, you know, <laughs> or they talk to themselves in the lunch line. I've never seen a med surge nurse that wasn't driven crazy. You do not have to start there. <laughs> That is the pe- that is the advice I want everybody to throw out the goddamn window. Yes, I love that. That drives me crazy. Yes. Do not listen to these old archetypes tell you what you have to do. Yes. You can do what you want. I love that. <laughs> and well, toss that. Okay, so toss that and then to keep. One piece of advice to keep and never keep your eggs in one basket. Yes. The idea is freedom. We want to get away from the bedside. Let's be free. We can't spend our whole lives. You don't want to be that one nurse on the unit that has the jacked up back that drags one foot when you <laughs> to see patients. You <laughs> want to be her. free. Set yourself up. We're in the profession yeah. where we make decent money. I mean, it's even to the point where Congress wants to cap like travel nurse pay. Know, That's right. how good they make it. Yeah. We can we can leverage high net worth into freedom yes. we, we're in a very unique position i mean most nurses within a three-year time period can make six figures it's only like i would say like maybe 10 to 12 percent of the people making six figures so yeah let's leverage this i feel like you can start something side hustle investments whatever you can to have as much pay you to buy your freedom out of working full-time yeah you need your peace. Your time out. This is my advice. Your time is worth more than you value it. Mm. So respect it. Yeah. Yeah. Your time is valuable and you don't realize it. But it's so funny when you're a young nurse too, you don't realize that at least I didn't, I looked at things and material things as, um, Oh, I got to work a shift for that. Or I got to go on this trip. And so you would kind of look, I looked at it like, it was just a shift instead of right. that's my time. And so n- once I had my son, I began to realize, oh my gosh, my time is super valuable because I'm actually having to trade my time with my son for a job. And that's when it became, the commodity became very high, right? So before I was right. like, oh, a handbag, some shoes, that trip to Austin, whatever it was, it was fine to trade my time for that. Yeah. But then when it became, no, 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 the time is with my son. And that's now the commodity that gets traded. The price was too high. Something had to change. And so, Essentially, yeah, right? It's this book called um, Your Money or Your Life. I think the author's name is Vicki Robin. You ever read no. it? No. I'm, gonna, I'm so, going to now that you've said it. You've got two books. Yeah, your, your, your Money or Your Life. That's two yeah. books. I got a list. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like the self-help development yeah, expert. Yeah, I love that. So, I mean, the, the thing with Your Money or Your Life, she breaks down every product that you buy into hours of your life. So I don't know, say you make $20 an hour, right? Yeah. And you want to buy, you know, a new pair of Jordan tennis shoes for like $180. How many hours of your life did those tennis shoes cost you? Yeah. You know? Yeah. When you could have bought if, Nike stock. If you stock, think about it that way. If you buy, if you buy some Nike stock, then it can appreciate. Exactly. Yeah. Man, like pre-pandemic, Nike was like, I think Nike got as low as like $79 or something like that. As far as a stock standpoint, it hit like 117 at some point. I, That's crazy. Like, people, 
Listen, we if you have another show and you want to talk about financial freedom, I'll come back because I'll I'll break it down. I love it. For sure. I, I love that. That's like my favorite thing. Like, and I'm going to start breaking it down. I, I had a blog from like years ago that I never touched. This is financenurse.com. I'm going to, I'm going to start making that active again, because that was really a really fun time. In my yeah. Because people don't, they got to get it. They got to get it. I'm telling you. I agree. Nurses, we spend so much of our lives serving and caring for others. We need people looking out for us and making sure that exactly. we are getting taken care of because we take care of everybody. So exactly. I love that. I, I'll tell you, I'll leave you with this message, whether it's my last thing I say on here, jobs don't care about you. They will replace you with the next person up. They will replace you with the next perky one. True. The minute you fall. It's true. So yeah, that's so true. Care about yourself more than a job. Amen. I am with you, man. So for the last part of our interview, it's the rapid fire questions, 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 questions. You ready? Let's do All it. right. If you gave someone a book to read, what would it be? Uh, Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. Very good book. One of my favorite books. Very good book. Name a song that makes you happy. Ooh, a song that makes me happy. Yep. Kendrick Lamar, Humble. Humble. Kendrick Lamar, but I don't think I know that one. Sit down. Be humble. Hold up. Sit down. Hold <laughs> and what's your favorite restaurant? Oh, Petit Louis Bistro. It's a place here in Baltimore. It's a French bistro. Ooh, uh, baguettes? They have they, the, the best. Ooh. Like, they have the best eggplant Napoleon and chill in the service. Me and my wife has been going there for like 11 years. We go for every anniversary. Oh. And it's the same Mater D there. He remembers us every oh year. Oh, my gosh. How sweet. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's a beautiful place. Well, that's it for questions. That's it for time. Thank you so much for coming on today, Theo, and sharing your journey and, yeah, encouraging nurses to go get free. It's what we're about here at the Dr. Nurse Podcast. So thank you. Oh, yeah. We're supposed to be rich and we're supposed to be free. I, that's how it I is. I love it. And where can people find you? Give us a shameless plug. Oh, yes. You can find me at Weekend White Coat on Instagram. You can find me at WeekendWhiteCoat.com. You can find me at financenurse.com, at collegeboyjonesfnp. That's my personal page. That one seems to be a lot more popular. Yeah. You could find me all over the place. I'm out in this world. I love it. And guys, thanks for listening today. And don't forget to enjoy the journey. We are at the end of our time together. I really enjoyed the chat. Please be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. And leave us a review if you like the show. I would love to get five stars. The Dr. Nurse Podcast is on Instagram, so please follow us there for any updates on new podcasts and inspirational information to help you on your own journey. You could always message me at the Dr. Nurse Podcast at gmail.com with any career information or professions that you're interested in hearing about. And as always, thanks for listening. I want to thank my biggest fan supporter on Patreon, Kevin Pryor, for your support of this podcast. If you love this podcast and want to throw some support my way, I would greatly appreciate it. My link is in the show notes. And just a reminder, the information in this podcast is for educational purposes only, and the information should not be used as substitute for professional care by a medical provider. The information in this podcast does not represent medical or other professional advice or services. 